This is the MS Show, the podcast for people with multiple sclerosis and their families who want information and inspiration. I'm Bron Webster. I've been living with MS for over 20 years. I'll be sharing with you tips, stories and ways to keep going with MS. Hi, so today I'm joined by Grant Miller. Grant's from, is it Milton Keynes, Grant? Yes, Milton Keynes indeed. Home of the Concrete Counts. That's right, that's right. And we're going to be talking about Grant's story of his multiple sclerosis diagnosis. That's okay, no worries. So you're in Milton Keynes. Whereabouts is that in the country? Just for people that might not know where we are. It's um, ooh, about 50 odd miles north of London. One of those places that doesn't actually fit in particular category of the UK. So it's uh, sort of South Midlands, north of East England. It's just a strange geographically yeah, further away from the sea in the, in the country okay that's not good if you're a coast a coast lover is it no a bit landlocked that's a bit true. landlocked yeah <laughs> so and obviously as, as i said at the outset you live with multiple sclerosis could you tell us all about your multiple sclerosis story your diagnosis and yeah. early symptoms etc certainly certainly well, my first symptoms were when I was playing badminton at school in the upper sixth, no, lower sixth, rather, so what's that, year year 12 now, isn't it? Yeah, I was playing badminton and I couldn't see the shuttlecock because I had white blobs in front of my eyes. Just suddenly came out when I got hot and running around playing badminton, I couldn't, I couldn't see the shuttlecock. So I saw my GP who referred me to specialists. I went to see ophthalmic optician who prodded mm-hmm. me and... Uh, did various tests and um, dilation stuff into your eyelids and that sort of thing. And they couldn't find a problem. They then referred me to neurologist mm-hmm. who then diagnosed me with optic neuritis, inflammation of the optic nerve. And that's all I was told, basically, mm. back in 1979. When I was 17. Okay, so how long ago is this now? So is that um, 40? I have to do the math. It's quite a while now. <laughs> it's 40 years, isn't it? 40 years, yeah. So then I was, um, and and that's the only symptom I had at the time. And it would come back if I ran around and got hot again, it would come back. If I went for a run or something, it would would come back. Apart from that, it wasn't there. And then I went to university, to training college, do my teaching degree. And I was seeing my neurologist every six months, which was quite frequent looking back. Yeah, why why was that? I don't know. I wasn't told. See, all the time, I just right. knew he got neuritis. Uh, and he kept asking me to go back. And each time I saw him, he'd do the same test. So he was checking my eyes. He was checking my reactions, hitting me with rubber hammers, poking me with pins, all that sort of thing. Running a sharp, pointy thing at the bottom of my foot. And apparently, my foot goes the wrong way to most people, apparently, because of the MS. Apparently. Oh, does it? <laughs> Yeah, apparently. Makes you a bit unique, doesn't it? Well, it does, yeah, apparently. But at the time, I I wasn't told anything. I was just, as far as I was concerned, it was just the optoneuritis. Yeah. But But he was obviously checking out other things, wasn't he? He was, yeah. Basically, he was trying to see what was happening to me. But then I was started to get other symptoms. I didn't know there were symptoms at the time. So, for Mm. instance, I was, if I had a shower and rubbed myself down with a towel, I would sort of find non-patches on my legs that sort of, came and went and that sort of thing at university i started having a big problem in going to the toilet just starting basically uh, 
which I didn't think anything of, but I just thought, you know. Sort of so you wanted to go, but nothing happened. Yeah, I sort of end up punching my stomach really to try and get something to happen. Yeah. Which, you know, I hadn't mentioned. We talk about did. these things. We talk about these things, Graham, don't we, when we've got multiple sclerosis. It's like nothing's off limits, really. Oh, no, definitely not. No, I agree with you there. Yeah. <laughs> and it's something that I didn't mention to anybody else at the time. I don't know why I didn't. I didn't mention it to anybody. And then I was seeing, that's right, I was then due to see the neurologist. I don't know, go back a stage. I was going home for the weekend to see my parents in university. And I was getting ready to go, go out. And I got a small black and white telly in my in my room at college. And they had one of these Sunday morning health programs talking about this thing called MS that I'd never heard of. Mm. And talking about symptoms. And I thought, bloody hell. I've got three or four of those symptoms, I think, to various greater or lesser degree. So I wasn't, didn't mention to anybody at that point. And I saw my neurologist, I think, three months after I saw that TV programme. Uh, he did the normal prodding me with pins and all that sort of hitting me with hammers again. And at the end, I said to him, you know, I've seen this programme on MS, you know, have I got it? And he said, yes, you have. He called, it, he? he called it disseminated cirrhosis because he was an old school neurologist. And apparently that's the old term for it, apparently. Right. Um, yeah, so that's, the, but at the time you see, everything was normal with me apart from, you know, this, this optoneuritis thingy um, and difficult to get the loo and other bits and pieces that weren't heavily affecting me. So, I, yeah, so basically that was, the, that was the diagnosis really. So I sort of carried on with life. So when he told you, he said, yes, you have. And I guess we're not back quite 40 years, but there wouldn't have been any of the disease modifying drugs available there, at that point in time there was nothing there was no ct scans there was no lumbar punctures there was no dmds uh, there was no internet of course so there was no resources to look at information on and also i think because it wasn't affecting me in any serious way at the time life was generally normal i didn't i didn't fret about it didn't think about it I mean, yeah, makes my sense. Family, my family's always been, I've always been brought up a bit, you know, to because it's best to get on with life than sit at home mm. and things, really. Have something to distract you. Well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because it's so easy to overthink, overanalyze things, I think. Yeah, yeah. So you didn't have all that information at there your was, fingertips. There was, there was nothing. So do you think, compared to nowadays, that that put you in a stronger position? That's a very interesting question. I would probably apply the same principle then, just get on with it, because what I did find quite quickly, I think, when I did start looking into it, is that MS can affect different people in very different ways. And it's not, not everyone has got the same symptoms by any means. I mean, I've now got loads of friends with MS, and I don't think there's anybody I know who's got exactly the same symptoms as I have. No, that is definitely the case, isn't it? Yeah. It's... It's so unique because of the way the body is attacking the different uh, areas of the central nervous system. Yeah. So there really is, there's no rhyme or reason and there's no predictability to know at any point in time where that attack's going to happen on your body. No, that's right. At what point did it start to have more of an effect for you? Well, I've been, I've got primary progressive MS, I should have mentioned that. Did you, did, did you know that? when you were seeing the neurologist? You couldn't have said at the time anyway, because it was so early, it was early days. And I don't think I was aware of the different types of MS at the time. And- I don't know when they introduced the different no, types. And because my, so I got primary, primary progressive, 
but it's been very, very slow. So what does primary progressive mean? Just just the people that are, are listening, Graham. The best way I try and describe it is if you imagine a graph with effective MS against time, going up the left hand side, and time mm. against right, then mm. and if you've got hundred percent is actually perfect, nothing wrong with you at all, no symptoms or anything. With MS, with primary progressive, you tend to get a straight line. Remitting, remitting relapsing, as we all know, I think, is the, I think the most common sort. You get a wibbly log, well, you get a wobbly line. So you have a line going across, then it would go down when you have a, a relapse. Then they go up again when you get a remission. They go down again, relapse. So they've been going up and down all the time. Yeah. Different people that have different gaps amongst the remission, relapsing, relapsing phases, as it were. Whereas primary, that line is very much a gradual, either a horizontal line or going sloping generally downwards. So for me, it's been this gradual line and it's sort of changed its angle of severity, as it were, at different times in my life. So I know that it was changes were gradual and I went to teaching, everything was fine, but then my walking started getting affected. I was using, mm. I was using a walking stick through up, I wasn't using a walking stick, was falling over, tripping over, people assumed I was drunk. Then my dad one day said, why don't you borrow a walk, granddad's walking sticks, which we haven't got in the garage, so I did. And people's attitude changed to me was immediate. If I did fall, they helped me get up again, because they knew I got an indicator there's something wrong with me, or not, not right, as it were. Yeah. So that was the first huge change in me, or using the walking How long would you say that was after yeah. the diagnosis? Half the diagnosis. The diagnosis, I think, was, was 83, told what I got. Walking was getting more affected. Um, school were very good. They put handrails in to help. So we're probably talking about the walking stick coming into play probably about four years after diagnosis, something like that. But then, you know, the walking stick was helping, but I was still getting tired and still stopping frequently. And that period of stopping got shorter and shorter, as it were, before you know, intermission before I stopped. Yeah, that's right. And I was slowing everything down, everybody down. And then the next change in me really was um, I went to Centre Parks with a friend of mine and his family a weekend once, a long way from home, Thetford way. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And again, this was Nick, my good mate I first told about the condition. He, um, he said, look, you know, we're miles away from home. We all love you. We all know you. You all know us very well. Why don't we borrow a wheelchair from the centre for the weekend? Which we did. It made such a huge difference to the weekend and to me because rather than me being really slow and tired getting in you know nick could push me around and also i realized how much it was helping my friends as well because they weren't hanging around waiting for me to do anything or to get anywhere they could they were with me at the same time as it were so we did loads loads that weekend and then after that i thought actually a wheelchair is going to be a good idea to use sometime uh, and i spoke to my dad and he was really good and he helped me he got me a wheelchair and um and i'd use it but only out and about so i wouldn't use it close to home so i had like this demarcation zone draw draw a big ring around where i lived so i'd use it out and about on holidays and days out and stuff but i wouldn't use yeah. it at home wouldn't use it at work but then what was uh, it that made you what was what was it that made you demark the different areas I how did you was, so i think it was pride really i didn't want to accept the fact i needed the wheelchair and i was really and this is with, a this is a really common thing oh yeah i think I totally get people it people yeah. with multiple sclerosis you think, isn't it accepting you've got it well the thing is, and then I thought, you know, oh, God, people are going to look at me. How horrible. And I thought, mm. actually, blow it. Let them look at me. I don't care. Because I used to be quite shy, quite shy and nervous, believe it or not. 
but then when I was making those thought decisions, starting to use a wheelchair and thinking, well, I don't care, they can look at me. And I became much more outgoing in general. So I started using the so wheelchair. So it's changed your confidence. Oh, completely and utterly. Yeah, completely. Yeah. And I ended up being stuck in my classroom all day, or most of the day rather, because it was too hard work. Um, and um, they put handrails around the school to help me get around, which is really, really good. But the classroom was, what well, it was probably getting on from 100 yards, 80 yards away from the staff room. So it meant that morning break, I couldn't really get to the staff and go to the toilet, have a cup of coffee or tea, whatever, and get back to my room in time. And then lunchtime, I'd get to the staff room and back and have lunch and stuff, but because I had more time to do it. Mm. That, was, that was getting harder and harder. So I think one day, without telling anybody, I just thought, oh, blow it, I'm going to take my wheelchair into school, which mm. I did. And it made such a huge difference. I mean, at the time, I could still walk a bit. So I could, you know, use the wheelchair, all the flat bits, and then get out of the wheelchair, um, pull the wheelchair up the steps, get back into it again, then do the next bit. But it made a huge difference to me. Mm. Um, And that in itself, I think that whole transition to a wheelchair, and I've used the wheelchair in the past, and I know that I really struggled with the whole, I can get out of it once I've got in it. And I'm not talking physically, it was more mentally. And what you're saying is that you did that anyway, because that whole transition and your mindset and your acceptance of using the wheelchair, I think, comes into play at that point, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I realised, immediately realised the huge benefits in using the wheelchair, say, to me and to my friends and family. To me, it was a a no-brainer. You know, I'm going to carry on doing this. In the next episode, we'll hear the rest of Grant's story. But I think for today, we've had a really good insight into the way things used to be, first of all, but also the great benefits that um, Grant has seen as he's introduced different aids to help him to walk and get around. So we'll see you back tomorrow. Thanks so much for listening to today's MS show. Please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. And if you'd like to get more involved with the MS show, why not join our Facebook community? Just search Facebook for the MS show. Come back soon for another dose of MS information and inspiration. You've been listening to the MS show podcast.